Friends, let's go ahead and read our scripture. We're in Genesis. We're in chapter 28. We're going to read verses 20 through 22. Let's read it together. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. This morning, we are wrapping up our series that we have been calling Difference Makers. And this, this whole month, we've been wrestling with how God is calling us to steward over our lives so that we can be a people who are actively and consistently making a difference. And every morning of this series, we have affirmed that I trust that all of us in this room want to make a difference, that we want to leave the world a little bit better than we found it, right? That, that That's a goal that we have. When we get to the end of our lives, we want to look back and be able to see the impact that we made, the difference that we made. But most of us are terrified of actually being different from everybody else around us. And the truth that we've been kind of going back to and using as our backbone for these four weeks is that if we want to be a people who are making a difference, you should know it by now, then we have to be willing to be different. Come on, with more gusto, you know it. We have to be willing to be what? Different. That's right. This morning is also uh, Commitment Sunday, which means that when you come down for communion, you're going to have a chance to turn in your, your commitment card or your pledge for giving for the year 2024. Uh, but, but first, I want us to take a closer look at the scripture that we just read and especially the context around it because I really do think it's, it's a pretty fitting moment for us to look at uh, on a Sunday like this. Jacob, as most of you probably know, is one of the major patriarchs that we get to know in the book of Genesis. He was the grandson of Abraham and Sarah and the son of Isaac and Rebekah, which means just at a minimum, is that he had some heavy hitters as parents and grandparents. If you know much about his story, you know that he had a twin brother named Esau, who was just a few seconds older than him, which meant that Esau and not Jacob got the birthright to the family inheritance. Well, Jacob was a mama's boy, and Rebecca didn't like that Jacob wasn't going to get the inheritance, so they devised this, this whole plan to trick Jacob's father, Isaac, into blessing Jacob instead of Esau, and they did it when Esau was away. It was full of deception and manipulation. It's, it's not the greatest look for Jacob in this moment. And so when Esau got back, I think justifiably so, he was really, really angry with his with his twin brother. And he was so angry that Jacob and Rebekah realized that Jacob probably needed to leave town for a little while to make sure that Esau didn't try to kill his brother. So Jacob runs away and leaves this messy situation that he has created for his family. And the first night that he's away, he finds a spot to lay down and he has this vivid dream where he sees a ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending the ladder. And then he begins to hear the voice of God speaking to him in the dream. And God tells him that he's going to be with him. 
that he's going to make his offspring bless the earth, that he's going to bless Jacob, and that he's going to bring him back to this land, and he's going to create peace in in his father's house, and that all of this self-inflicted chaos that Jacob has caused, that God nonetheless is going to be with him, is going to protect him, and is going to, to bless him. It's this beautiful moment of, of reassurance from God that he's going to be faithful to the promises that he's made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, and Jacob's father, Isaac, and now Jacob himself, despite his mistakes. And so Jacob, in response to this, he makes a vow, he makes, he makes a promise to God that he will give one-tenth of everything that he has back to God. He essentially here promises that in response to God's faithfulness, he will tithe. And what I realized is that the the promise that Jacob is making here is, is very similar to the promise that we all make when we decided to join this church. I mean, when you join Bluff Park United Methodist or when you join any United Methodist church, you stand up in front of the congregation And you promise that you will support this body of believers by doing five things. With your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And whether y'all realize it or not, all of those questions are stewardship-related questions. Essentially what we're asking is, do you promise to steward over your life in such a way that you will be enabled and equipped For you and your family to pray for our church, to be present with our church, to engage in service with and for our church, to live in such a way that you are pointing people closer to Christ rather than further away from Christ. That's the witness piece of it. And that you will give financially to the church. Which, when you kind of take a step back and look at it, that is a lot. But I think there's a reason that those questions cover the major buckets of, of our life. Because it's a big commitment. And I think it's, it's supposed to be. But all of you in here that have made that promise, you've been willing to say yes to those things. And my hunch is that your reason for saying yes is really similar to what Jacob's reason for saying yes is. It's because we too know what Jacob realizes In the text for today, that everything that we have comes from God. I mean, that's essentially what he says in verse verse 22 that that we just read. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth back to you. It's, it's like this, this whole experience for Jacob, this taking advantage of his brother, lying to his father, having to run away from his family, receiving this dream full of assurance and blessing from God that it has led him to understand and to finally be able to see that everything he has, everything he will have, all of it comes from God. That it's not really his, it's actually God's first, and and it's still God's. And that's how he articulates in the text why he gives. Because suddenly he can see that everything that he has first and foremost is a gift from God. I mean, don't miss the transformation that we see Jacob experience here 
in this text. I mean, he, he literally in one night goes from stealing his brother's birthright, deceiving his family, clawing for more and more, like really not caring about the destruction that it, that it might cause, to suddenly being able to see that everything that he has is a gift from God. It's like overnight Jacob goes from being extremely selfish to suddenly selfless. It is a massive change that he experiences here. And I can't help but assume that at least part of Jacob's decision to give, to commit that tenth back to God, comes from his gratitude of the grace that he can now see God has shown and will always show him. I don't think Jacob struggles to see that that he messed up, that he left a huge mess at home, and that God still tells him, still despite that, that he will be with him and and that he will bless him. I mean, when I read this story, it forces me to look at my own life and to remember all of the ways that I have fallen short. All of the ways that I have messed up. All of the messes that I have left in my, in my wake. Just like we see Jacob do in the text. And I think probably if we're honest with ourselves, just like all of us have done over the course of, of our life. And this text, I think, forces us to hold up that reality up against the grace that we know that we too have received from God. For me, it's, it's the fullness that God has given me in, in my life. How my life, thanks be to God, and only because of what God has blessed me with, is full, of, is full of love and purpose and fun and stuff. And I mean, the list could go on and on and on, right? And how I don't deserve any of it. And I think when we can see that, when, when we can really see that, Suddenly the gift that we give back to God is not made out of some sense of duty or some sense of obligation. It's made out of gratitude. I mean, really, suddenly the gift that we give back to God is is a response to the goodness and the grace of God, and and it's made as an act of worship. Because I, I think we, too, are called to have the same response that we see Jacob have in the text. He leaves a mess in his wake. He has a dream where he is reminded of the faithfulness of God. He realizes the grace of God all over again. And then he is willing to make an offering as an act of worship in response to that grace and that forgiveness and that purpose that he can now see only comes from God. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, Ross, All of this sounds great. I hear you. I believe you. I want to make a vow like I see Jacob make in the text, but there is no way that I'm going to be able to give one-tenth of my income from the jump here. I'm going to need to grow into my giving. And whenever I hear that, I think if it's good enough for John Wesley, it's good enough for us. John Wesley is the founder of our United Methodist denomination, and he grew into his giving very, very much so. When Wesley was growing up, he was in a family that was nearly always in some state of financial turmoil, as his parents 
struggled to support nine brothers and sisters. So once Wesley got out onto his own, he was determined to have a completely different relationship with money, and he did. He was very successful very early on in his career. He managed to do pretty well for himself, and soon he was a teacher at Oxford College. And in those early days of earning, Wesley simply did whatever he wanted to do with his money. In his journal, he wrote this, that he was spending his money on card games, tobacco, and brandy. He did whatever he wanted with his money in his early days of spending. But all of that changed one really cold day when he was teaching at Oxford. And maybe some of you have heard this story. One of the maids came to clean his apartment, and he opened the door, and he noticed that all she had on was was a linen gown. And he asked her why she didn't have a coat on, because it was really, really, really cold outside. And she said, well, I can't afford a coat. And he reached into his pocket to try to give her money to go and buy herself a coat, but he realized that he didn't have enough in his pocket. Because the day before, he had spent all of his money on some expensive painting that was on the wall of his bedroom. And it was in that moment, and he writes about this in his journal, it it was in that moment that he saw for the first time that his relationship with money had to change. I mean, what he actually wrote in his journal was this, are these pictures not the blood of this poor maid? which is dramatic and probably not exactly how I would have phrased that kind of insight, right? But it shows that this was the moment that Wesley realized that the moment in his, the, the money in his pocket was not his. It was, it was God's. And this moment set him on a trajectory of giving that left him at the end of his life giving away, listen to this, 98% of what he earned he gave back because he knew that it wasn't his in the first place. I mean, he literally went from giving nothing to giving just about everything that he could, and it took him nearly 30 years to get there. All that to say, Wesley grew into his gift, which I really, really want you to hear this morning. He had a realization much like Jacob does in the passage that we read for today. And he started chipping away, allowing the generosity that God had sparked in him to grow and to grow. I mean, remember the text that we looked at last week, if you were with us last week, the gift of the widow was just worth one penny, but Jesus says it was the greatest gift given to the temple that day because of her heart, because of her her sacrifice, Because it was all that she had to give. My point is that we don't have to start by giving a lot. All we have to do is start. Trusting that when we are willing to start giving, start giving what God has blessed us with, when we're able to see with fresh eyes the grace that God has given us that that none of us deserve, when we realize that everything that we have is actually a gift from God, when we're willing to steward over our finances in a way that is different from how the world may tell us we should, when we, like Wesley, are able to see the needs around us and hear that voice of God calling us to be different, God will use what we are able to give to make 
a difference. In fact, I think he already is. I sent an email this week on Monday to our staff asking me to to share with me where they think and where they feel like their ministries over this last year have made a difference. And needless to say, I received way more information than I have time to share with you this morning. But I do want to share a little bit of, of of what I received. Stanley, our children's director, shared with me that we had 120 kids at Camp on the Bluff this past summer and that it was a 50-50 split between kids and families that are already active in our church and kids and families that are new to our church. He told me that we had 180 kids at VBS this past summer and the split there was 60-40 between community and church kids. Y'all, our children's ministry is bringing people into this church to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I also learned this week that the children of our church decided at the very beginning of 2023 that they wanted to partner with Pastor Kay, our pastor of pastoral care, and care for the shut-ins of our church. These are the folks who, due to illness or mobility issues, that are, that are unable to come on campus with us, but remain deeply connected to the life of the church. And our kids have been making them cards and crafts that are being sent to their homes throughout the year. Stuff like Valentine's Day cards and Happy Summer cards and Thanksgiving cards and Christmas cards and crafts in between just to show them that our church loves them and that they have not been forgotten. I mean, can't you see that our children's ministry is making a difference? Billy, our director of adult ministries, who's been in here with you the last couple of weeks, he reminded me that between our in-home small groups called Common Tables and our midweek meals up at the church, we consistently have a hundred folks who are eating together each and every week, breaking bread as the body of Christ. And that through events like Adult VBS and our women's ministry and our upcoming marriage retreat and our monthly adult programming, that we are doing our very best, right, to provide spaces and opportunities for us as adults to grow in our faith. Reagan, our youth pastor, she's sitting right here. She shared with me that the number of students at our programming and our events has been consistently up anywhere between 50 to 100 percent from where we were last year. And that doesn't even include the food pantry that we operate out of the church that feeds 650 people every single month. Or our under the bridge ministry that takes food downtown to the homeless a couple of Tuesdays every month. Or our partnerships with places like Church of the Reconciler and Urban Ministry and Bundles of Hope and countless of other ministries that we do work with. Our church is making a difference. I mean, I would say that our church is already making a huge difference in the community around us. And our dream, my dream, is that this impact that we're already making on our community that it would do nothing but grow in 2024 because of our willingness to be different. So no matter where you are today, whether you're considering giving more than 10% next year, whether you're trying to figure out if you can manage to give 2% next year, whether you've been giving to this church for, for decades, or whether you're considering committing to making your first gift to this church today. My hope is that you would be able to remember and give thanks for all that God has blessed you and your family with, and that out of that gratitude, out of that gratitude, we would give 
trusting, right? Because that's all we can do. Trusting God to use our gift to make a difference. Trusting God to turn our church into a church full of difference makers. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.